oh my God, I almost killed Steve Jobs. What would the Wall Street Journal look like tomorrow morning? There'd be like this beautiful engraving, you know, how they used to do of Steve Jobs and say, um, you know, the founder of Apple dead at 52 years old or something. (laughs) Whatever he was. Yeah, in my picture down below, the man who killed design in America. From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens. And this is Design Of, a podcast about people and the path they have taken from the past to the present. Today, I have my friend Marty Neumeyer, one of the most influential business and brand authors, who started out as an almost musician, became an influential designer and entrepreneur that has been blazing his own path his entire career. Join me as you hear from one of today's leading business authors and brand experts tell his story. I grew up in L.A. um, in the uh, 50s and 60s, which was a terrific time to be a kid because it was after World War II and all the vets came home at the same time and they just bought houses because they could get them for like $6,000 or something. (laughs) And so in my neighborhood, um, instant neighborhood, you know, just add water, springs up in uh, 10 houses per block. And in those 10 houses, there were 10 kids my, my age. So it was like a kid paradise and you didn't need your parents and they didn't have to worry about you because you're with all the other kids and you could just run around, right? And just be home by dinner time. Um, And that, I think, fosters a kind of independence and, uh, I don't know, confidence that you can, you know, life is yours to do what you want with. And I think uh, California gives you that too. So so that was good. But, you know, I always wanted to be a, a, a graphic designer even when I was seven years old. I didn't know the term. I, I was about to ask you, how yeah. did you know what a graphic designer There, were, seven, there yeah. weren't any. Yeah. There, well, in Europe, they probably yeah. they probably had them. But uh, in in the U.S., they were called commercial artists at the right. time. And my mother was trained to be one, so that's how I found out. Really? Yeah, she was a fashion designer in school, but never... Uh, she wanted to work in the movies. That's why she came to California. Okay. And then she you know, got married and had a giant family, six kids, and that was the end of that. But <laughs> But boy, could she draw. I mean, it was magic, you know, just watching her. She'd be out, like, talking on the telephone and aimlessly, you know, people doodle. And usually it's like little blocks of little lines and circles and stuff. Right. No, she'd be drawing these gorgeous uh, heads of people, different wow. angles and stuff, you know, like Renaissance drawings. Uh, and I would just like, I said, that's just, you know, I wish I could do that. And she, and she said, well, you know, you, you just learn how to do it. And now, did she go to school at all for that? I mean, I know she yeah. went to fashion school, but yeah, okay. I mean, she, you know, in those days, uh, you know, in public school, you had art classes, okay. and all kinds of stuff, music and theater, and all that mixed in. It was great, um, and so she had a passion for for drawing. She had some skill, and then she went to uh, Chicago Art Institute. Oh wow! Yeah, and so that's where she got her degree. Came out to California. Uh, had one interview with Edith Head, and I think that was the last uh, interview she had and got, got off course. Marty has had some amazing moments in and around his life. His mom interviewing with Edith Head is just another example. Edith was the costume designer for Hollywood, winning a record eight Oscars for her work and being nominated over 35 times. It was great to have her just show me, like, here's how you do it. You draw this line, draw another one. What does that look like? Maybe a couple more, and pretty soon things take shape on a sheet of paper. And I thought, I could do that. And then um, knowing those few little techniques uh, at that age, you know, seven or eight years old. Yeah. I mean, you can really wow your friends. Yeah. (laughs) You're the guy. You're the guy who can draw. They're drawing, like, a house and a sun and a car. And I'm drawing, like, clipper ships and perspective. (laughs) You know, and so... Uh, Isn't it funny that your friends probably looked at you like you had a superpower? Oh, yeah. I totally How felt like it. I mean, it was surprising to me that anybody could do it, yeah. much less me. So so uh, I just, I knew right then that that was my destiny, you know. I mean, like you would. Is that, you know, I didn't know that there were multiple destinies. I just thought, well, this is obvious. This is who I am, and, yeah. and I'm treated special for that. So I never had a doubt that that's what I was going to do huh. until later. At one point, I wanted to be a musician. I was starting to write songs. I really enjoyed writing songs. Not so much musicianship, because I was didn't like practice that much, really. 
one of the other students came up to me one morning. He says, you know, they're doing a, this is because it's in Hollywood. Yeah. He said, they're doing a, a, an audition for a, a TV series. And they're looking for people that can play the guitar and write songs. And you do that, right? And I said, oh, yeah. He says, well, you ought to just go down. Just, you know, it's tonight. You ought to go down and just yeah. see what it's about. So I thought, what the heck? Took my guitar and went down. And there was this long line of people out in front of Desilu Studios where they were having the... Um, the audition, I mean, like, there must have been 200 people in the line. Wow. And it moved along pretty quickly. Uh, so in an hour or so, I got my chance going to the little dimly lit room, you know, with no windows and a couple of, three people behind a, a table. I say, okay, what do you, you know, what do you, obviously you have a guitar, so you play, do you write any songs? Uh, um, yeah, I write songs. Uh, well, let's play one, you know. Played a song and said, okay, uh, place a different one, you know. Did that, and they said, "All right, good. Well, you know, we'll let you know." Of course, they don't, but yeah. they let you know if you, you know, yeah, if you yeah. get to the next yeah. thing. So uh, I thought, well, that was kind of interesting. I don't know if that went well, but you know, what are the odds? And so I, I just forgot about it. And I think that was the turning point where I just decided, you know, it, music might be sexier, but what I'm doing could be sexy. Yeah. You know, when I get good at it, <laughs> right? So I'm going to just keep on going. Uh, and then about, let's see, this would be like 30 years later. I've, I'm in Silicon Valley. I've got my studio. It's 15 people and we're cranking on all kinds of stuff. Business is good and uh, completely forgot about music because I'm a kind of a focus person. You know, if yeah. I'm doing music, I want to do music. I don't want to do anything else. If I'm yeah. doing design, I, I can't, I just can't do a lot of, you know, yeah. other people can like multitask and have lots of things in their lives. I'm like, I'm, I'm just like really <laughs> narrow and that's how I, I, I'm able to succeed. So I had forgotten about it totally and I get a call and it's this guy who's doing a documentary. He says, um, well, what, uh, what I neglected to tell you that afterwards, uh, maybe six months after the audition, I found out what it was. It was the monkeys. Come on. It was the monkeys. <laughs> and so I watched that with interest when it came out because yeah. which one would I have been? You know? oh, so oh, you're Peter Tork. Absolutely, Peter Tork. <laughs> um, and, and later I found out that those guys, most of them weren't writing, even writing their own songs. So if I had been picked, I would have gotten the chance to actually write some stuff because that's what they wanted. They just, yeah. they, they didn't, those guys didn't have the talent to pull off hit songs. So um, anyway. So, you know, I'm 50 years old or something, and I, and I get this call. Uh, this guy says, I'm a producer, and we're doing a, uh, we're doing a documentary on the making of the monkeys, and your name was on the short list uh, for, for the part. For the part. Oh, my gosh. I know. You were so close. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea. How, I said, how I was, far on the list? Um, next, I was like, the, oh my you know, I was the second choice and they never called me because they picked, yeah. you know, Peter Tork or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, I thought, wow, that is amazing. Like, you know, and they said, look, we're, we'd love to interview you and, you know, you can tell us what it was like and all that. And we're, and we're shooting tomorrow night. And, and, and I said, um, they said, can you come, come down and, you know, be interviewed? I said absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they and I said okay. And I said where is it? And they, and they said well you know L A. And I said oh, <laughs> well I'm in San Francisco. So you you know give me a ticket or yeah. Uh, they went well mm, never mind. So that was it. You know, my, I, I blew uh, it. I missed my chance twice to be famous. After his almost life-altering brush with fame. Marty resumed his creative pursuits at the Art Center, where he was discovering more and more about what really made him tick. I knew what I wanted to do, and it was what we now call graphic design. I want all that stuff. I want to work pictorially and typographically, and, and, uh, and I even liked advertising. So um, I just made up my own. I just said, well, I'm going to have a dual major of, of, uh, of advertising and illustration. And somewhere in there is design, right? <laughs> right. right. And, and so that's what I did, and it was uh, really great. I mean, challenging. There's some really talented people um, in that school. And uh, even though I always knew I wanted to be a designer, they were way ahead of me. I mean, yeah. maybe they had been taking classes their whole life or something sure. like that. So I had to catch up. But, um, you know, I learned a lot of things. I learned 
that it's better to take a, to find a simple idea and knock it out of the park than do something so complicated you can't achieve it, mm. right? Uh, so always be simplifying your ideas and get an idea that can't fail no matter how you execute it. Even if it's bad, it's a success. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was a great lesson um, that I learned from other students. Uh, I learned that um, if you're uh, a communication a communicator, you know, a communication designer, let's say, which is really how I thought of it, not as a graphic designer, you need to control both the graphics, the the visual part and also the verbal part if no matter who's doing it it's got to be under your control I mean you have to be working on a team or you've got to do it yourself and I started realizing that if I do if I can write if I learn how to write I have total control over it right I don't have to depend on a copywriter or if I do work with a copywriter I'll know what I know I'll know how to collaborate yeah, and you'll see what good copy is. I'll know what that's it I'll know what good copy is no, I dropped out. I was it was the sixties, you know. Yeah, it was a cool. It was cool to drop out, <laughs> uh, and and I just um, had a different vision of what my job would be than my teachers did. Like they yeah. were kind of still stuck in a, an earlier paradigm, and so I just wanted to do it my way, you know, like you do. Uh, and then I just floundered for like three or four years, you know, trying to do that, and eventually, you know, started winning awards for my work and got more confidence and got clients and. Started hiring people and built a little studio and and on from there. So that's that's my yeah. path. But eventually, I just thought, you know, I love design, but it's um, you know our clients they stick us in a dark room, you know, in the basement uh, and tell us what to do. I mean, it's just not what we learned how to do, which was being on the ground floor of a, a business idea where you can contribute to it. And it was really starting to bother me that. Um, clients, companies just did not know how to use you. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those clients you had, because you had some great clients back then. Um, what were some of the clients you worked with when, you know, kind of during that era? Uh, in Silicon Valley? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great clients. I mean, it was like from day one. I, before I even moved up, I, I landed Atari from, from Santa Barbara, where wow. I was working. Yeah. I just, uh, I got a phone number in Silicon Valley. <laughs> You're a hustler, Marty. I didn't well, know this about I you. I was desperate. Yeah. I was trying to make a living, you know. And we had a daughter who's eventually going to have to go to college, and I just wasn't cutting it in my little town here of Santa Barbara. This is where I started. So uh, I said, "Well, I got we got to do something." So we decided to move, but we said, "Well, let's get some clients before." And so my wife has has always helped me with the business, so, which yeah. is one of our advantages. Is we team, sure. teamed up on this. Yeah. So got the phone number. Landed Atari, and they would say, "Oh, um, can you meet with so and so just for fifteen minutes uh, tomorrow morning?" And I'd go, "Yes," and I get in the car and I would drive to San Francisco, three hundred oh miles, four hundred miles, <laughs> to, <laughs> to be there, to look like I was. You right. know, we yeah, had I'm no just off the street. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that for a while, and then I realized, well, this is probably going to work. So I got one of sort of the precursor of a WeWork. Oh space you know it was just a little office and I, and took installed one of my people up there so there was somebody there all the time so uh, atari was the first one and then a company called sun microsystems oh, yeah. uh, which was huge, huge at the time major major and uh, uh let's see who else uh then I, I as i got better at this finding clients and 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 honing my specialty like his decision to drop out and do things his way, Marty had another epiphany that would skyrocket his early career. I started to move into software packaging, which was new at the time, and I just said, well, you know what? Nobody owns this space. There's nobody who you say package design or software packaging, right. and, and some name comes to mind. Sure. So all you get is like, oh, there's Landor, there's this company, that yeah. company, but they do everything. So I just said, no, I'm going to specialize in one thing. I'm going to be the guy. And so that was huge to see how that actually worked in practice. It's just to pick a small specialty that you can dominate and totally do that mm -hmm. and watch how the competitors just sort of get back away from you because they just go, it's not worth it. It's not worth it going up against him, that group, because yeah. they always win. And so that's what we set out to do. Uh, and probably our third client that we got was Apple. Mm -hmm. So the power of specialization yeah. so um, Apple had um, 
a separate company, but it was wholly owned by Apple called Claris. So Claris was the, the brand that, that yeah. put out all the software for Apple machines. And um, that was a breakthrough for me because finally I'm working with the most creative uh, company in the in the um, that sector and getting a lot of respect and getting to do it the way I want to do it and actually being pushed to do it more thoroughly than I had before, which just added to our knowledge about how to do it. Yeah. So that that was gigantic. And we, we redesigned um, 15 packages for their 15 products over a period of two years, maybe. And um, they said that uh, looking back overall, they got a 40% increase in sales with no change to the product. So packaging alone increased the revenues 40%. Well, did you have did you have interact with Steve or? or I did, but yeah. not on that. Okay. Yeah, I, or I interacted with Steve. Or I should tell you that because yeah. that was a that was a major disappointment. This guy, Steve Jobs, seems like man, he would be a great person to work with because he's got vision and he appreciates design. It's obvious. That, that we would really hit it off. Yeah. All I have to do is meet him. And the company was getting all kinds of press, you know, covers of every magazine and everything. So um, I had been um, writing articles for Communication Arts. Communication Arts, founded in 1959, is the largest trade journal for visual communications and one of the few magazines still being printed in the industry today. And um, I got the assignment to, to uh, do Apple. And I got the introduction that I wanted to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs and um, John Scully, who Steve Jobs had chosen to, to, to actually run the business while Steve Jobs ran sort of the product mm -hmm. part of it. So I'm, I have to interview both of them. And, uh, Separately or together? Well, it was together. Okay. So they were, I was going to have them both in a room, ask questions. And it's going to be this cool interaction and, and write a couple of articles, like two cover articles in a row, because that's how important this company was to, to, to design. Um, and when I got there with my, with my, uh, the publisher who, who I was working with, he wanted to go to and just tag along just because yeah. he's in love, you know, so, uh, so they said a woman comes up, she says, well, um, I'm Steve's, uh, PA and, um, you guys can't, are, are not going to meet together. Steve's got other things to do, and he can't really be in this meeting, but he'll catch up with you later. Um, so why don't you do John Scully first, and then you can do Steve. All right, so I interviewed John Scully, and he was a total gentleman. I mean, real professional, just slick as anything. And, and I'm sure he had this patter down because he was just like perfect, pitch perfect. Yeah. And he'd say, well, you know, I'm, I don't have a background in technology, but I'm a builder. I was trained as an architect. And all of this is of a piece. It's you're building a company. It's like building a building. You know, he went on and on. I'm writing like, this is good stuff, you know. Okay, so that one, after an hour, that's done. And then Steve Job, uh, I meet Steve in another room. And um, he comes in late and he's looking around and says, are you the guy? <laughs> I'm writing an article on communication arts. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, all right, let's get going. Really in a hurry. And... Uh, I didn't even get a chance to ask him questions. He said, no, no, let me show you what we're doing. And he takes me around the room and he says, okay, so you know the Macintosh and uh, that's mine. Because <laughs> he had, yeah. like he's, had already split off part of the company to do his dream while the rest of the company did this stupid old Apple II. You yeah, know, yeah. in his mind, that's what it was. Uh, and he's, uh, he says, okay, this, this, this product here um, is a printer. So it's a laser printer. And uh, what's cool about this is now you can print out stuff that was on your computer instead of just looking at the screen. You know, you can print it out. You can do stuff with it. And, you know, this was the whole thing, right? That was with holding them back. It's like, yeah. what could you do with the computer that yeah. you can't, it doesn't output to anything. Yeah. So I said, wow, that's amazing. He said, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's all right. It's a pretty good machine. We don't make it. We just buy it from another company. Uh, and I said, yeah. So on the top of the machine, I can see you've, you've changed your logo, right? Because they had the uh, rainbow-striped apple. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's brand new, and um, it's awesome. I think it's just awesome. And I said, this is where it started to go wrong, because in my designer head, and I've got, you know, my audience is going to be asking these questions right. in their minds, and I'm saying, it's, um, you know, six colors, six matched colors. That's expensive stuff for a logo especially because you got a lot of other things you're doing with this yeah. machine and to spend a lot of money on just that um do you ever worry about that 
and he started to stiffen already. You know, I could see it and he's going, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's worth it. Our logo is everything. And I'm, you know, I'm liking this because yeah, it's a yeah. designer. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, well, that's, that, that's great. And he goes, and it's completely unique. I've never seen a logo that looked like the apple and the bite and everything. I mean, first of its kind. And, and then I made another mistake. <laughs> I happened to have a magazine in my briefcase with all my other, like, it was a, commu a recent communication arts magazine to show him what, where he's going to be, yeah. you know. And it says, as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, but I actually designed one just almost like that for another company last year. In fact, it's right here. Open up the annual, and there's a, an apple with a bite taken out of it which creates kind of a letter C for creative education, which was my client. Okay. <laughs> and he just like starts to fume. And I was like, I, Lord, I, I never should have done that. What am I thinking? I was like trying to impress him because I, you know, I'm kind of a job yeah, interview yeah, for me. You know, I want to like, like, Oh, you could have done our logo. Maybe you can do the next one. You know? Right. So, <laughs> no, that's not how he took it. He, he looked at it and he says, ours is better. I said, oh, yeah, okay, good. Um, and then I tried to leave the subject, and he went on and on about where the logo come from, how original it was, and, and there's no way that the designer ever saw mine. It's like, no, come on, everybody reads CA Magazine. It yeah. was like where you see all the, where you get inspired, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe he didn't. But anyway, this, that's it just went downhill. Huh. Until he finally got up and just said, I think this interview is over and walked out. And I went home thinking, oh, man, how could I do that? It's like, this is my chance. But I got enough stuff to write the article, and um, so a couple days later, I'm um, my wife is uh, was you know my support in those days, and she would transcribe all the tapes I made so I could write articles from them because you gotta you know gather up your quotes and you gotta make yeah. a timeline for yourself and all this kind of stuff. And she did that part, and she's um, I'm working on some client work, and she's on the other corner, and she's got her headphones on, and she's she's transcribing the tapes with the little machine that I got her. And I hear this like groan and then smash. She throws her head, headphones against the wall. And she says, who is this guy? <laughs> I, said, I believe you're talking about Steve Jobs. He said, she goes, what an asshole. <laughs> so, I said, what do you mean? He goes, he's so arrogant. He's just like, he thinks he knows everything. I, you know. I, how could you work with anybody like that? And I said, oh, I, I don't think we have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I took the door and I took care of that. Yeah, I took yeah. care of that. So that was my first meeting. And then um, that was it for, for actually working together on anything. But then there was another um, uh, time when I almost ran over him. And that was the second time. Whoa. And, uh, what do you mean you almost ran over Steve Jobs? I, you know, with my car. Yeah. Where? This is years later yeah. after the iPod came out. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, in the meantime, this whole Silicon Valley thing had worked, worked out pretty well for us. We were doing pretty well. And we bought a house in Old Palo Alto, which is where Steve Jobs also lived, yeah. like a couple blocks away. And... Um, it's beautiful there. I mean, it's like old, older houses. Um, people take care of them. There's nice trees. And there's so many trees, though, that it's kind of like you, you're, you live in a park. And you have to be careful um, if you don't know the neighborhood because some of the stop signs are like they're hidden by trees and everything. Oh, okay. So you, I, just, I just don't take any chances when I'm there. I just, every intersection I slow down. So um, I'm going to work one day and I'm driving my somewhat heavy car down the street and I see someone look like they're going to just cross the street right in front of me and this guy is not looking. Um, and sure enough, he steps off the curb. I know he's not paying attention because he's got these white wires coming out of his ears. Yeah. Um, he steps off in front of me and I slam on the brakes. I mean, really screech to a halt like six inches from him and he jumps back and turns around and it's Steve Jobs. And I'm, I first, I kind of laughed and my, then my hands started shaking on the steering wheel and I thought, oh my God, I almost killed Steve Jobs. What would the Wall Street Journal look like tomorrow morning? There'd be like this beautiful engraving, you know, how they used yeah. to do of Steve Jobs and say, um, you know, the founder of Apple dead at 52 years old or something, <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. In my picture down below, the man who killed design in America. 
would be there. Uh, and it was, um, you know, um, he apologized and I apologized and, um, he didn't remember me from before. Yeah. It was completely, this is like 10, 20 years later. So, um, but that was, those are the two times I met. That's <laughs> awesome. Jobs. After running a successful business for years, Marty wanted to once again, try to take control of his destiny by starting a new venture. This was the first step to a series of moments that eventually pushed him into some of the most challenging times of his life and his career. But I just wanted to do something a little more relaxed where I had some control over and I thought doing a magazine would be like that. What I hadn't uh, considered was that it also is um, a hard mistress because you have deadlines on that too. And no matter what happens, that magazine has to go out on time. So, um, and it was taking you know, the full amount of time that I had between issues to get that out at the quality level I wanted. And so anything goes wrong and you get late, you know, so lots of, you know, just working seven days a week, holidays, Christmas, everything just, and, and, uh, it was a great learning experience, but, um, it was difficult and, and we never really got enough. No, the numbers weren't big enough. We didn't get enough designers who actually wanted to read. So this is the thing about design. Mm -hmm. So we'd have people just famous, pretty famous designers, not the famous, famous ones, but middling famous say, yeah, your magazine looks great, but you know, I don't read magazines. I don't read anything. I'm a designer. And one of them uh, was a famous annual report designer. And he said that to me. And then he turned, you can hear him talking to the rest of his team. They probably were all in one room. He says, any of you guys read about design? You hear, no, no, <laughs> nope, we don't read. That's a bad day. So like, right I'm proud of it. You know, yeah. I'm proud that I don't know anything about yeah. what I'm doing. Uh, so yeah, that was like, oh my God. So here I'm, I'm like, what am I? The only person that reads about design and yeah. cares about this stuff? Well, of course there were others, but I think we eventually got up to 10,000 people who read the magazine and, uh, but not enough to support it. And uh, the, the, the successful competitor, Communication Arts, where I used to work, they had like 60,000. So that's more the number, you know, I was yeah. hoping to get... 50 or something and it was just it was just not getting there and uh, so we were doing we were probably we probably had the wrong business model yeah. it was probably not the product people needed um, I'm, I still don't know exactly mm -hmm. what it was but it, I should have quit before I, I went five years because I was not going to give up on it I just thought well it's doing okay so maybe if I keep going the numbers will start to grow yeah. but they I'm going to will this into I'm going to will it into yeah, existence yeah. into success exactly um, so I learned the lesson about that don't so that things is, aren't working just cut bait and yeah. just go on to your next thing I mean and figure it out later or if you have an idea of why it's going wrong you, you could change it yeah. so that was part of that so I had that going so so I had the, the the packaging business going and that was supporting everything including the magazine that was so successful it could support all this expense of putting out a magazine yeah. and I could steal people away from their jobs to help do the magazine right. So that's, that was, that was good, but it was now stretched to the limit. And so we had that, uh, things were not going good. I was falling behind in, I was almost falling behind in printing payments. And so, um, the writing was on the wall. Then, uh, 9-11 happened and then the stock market crashed. And as a result of all those three things, not paying attention to the business, the uncertainty of 9-11, you know, the shock of it and the stock market, uh, I, all my work went on hold. All the clients said, no, we're just going to stop and pause while we think about what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was like overnight, I had no business. There was nothing happening. And so I had to close everything. So I closed the design business. Never had to do that in my whole life. I always was growing. So I closed that, closed, sadly, closed the magazine, uh, got out of my lease, I moved all the unsold magazines into a warehouse, and that was my office, this sort of cheap warehouse, which was right down the street for, from uh, where Steve Jobs had a secret office. I used to go by and uh, look in there. No one's ever in this office, but the, you could see in it, and I, was, I could look in the window and see the mail landing there, and it all had Steve Jobs' name on it. So he had like a, this funky secret office, <laughs> but beautifully painted and everything. It's like yeah. the colors were gorgeous, but it was just this wooden building. Uh, but anyway, I was there and um, dealing with the aftermath. And then I found out that uh, I actually wasn't as un unsuccessful that I thought. But I had an office manager who had been stealing from me for six years in huge amounts of money. So all the money we thought we were losing, we were actually, we were in the black. Wow. 
So that was like, that was, so everything collapsed. So here I am with all the, the you know, the, the evidence of this total failure on my part to catch on to what's going on and everything. Magazines piled up, no employees, uh, dealing with uh, trying to salvage this money situation of the theft and all this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I can't quit. I'm obviously, and uh, then I found out I owed the government for back taxes and all kinds of stuff that I didn't know about. Yeah. And they were calling, you know, when can we have our money? So the so only you had a lot of great things going on at this moment. <laughs> it's a lot of great things. I, I really had plenty of time left over to consider a new business. Yeah. No, I had no other choice. I had to work my way out of this. So that was an easy decision. I just like, okay, how can I make pretty good money right away and just start chipping away at this debt and get out of mm-hmm. get out of this? And so I thought back about like what I was trying to do with the magazine that failed, and um, I think. One of them was I was trying to reach designers and teach them about business. Like, here's how to be more successful. Yeah, so I thought, well, you know, designers don't really want to learn about business. I mean, they're happy just doing what they're doing. But but the thing is, business people really want to know about design. They are so intrigued with the potential of design and so frustrated that they're not getting that kind of service out of designers when they, they really want to be part of that. And I thought, well, Duh, I got it backwards. Mm. So what I need to do is bring design to business people. How would I do that? Well, I have to show them where design fits in their business. Where does it fit? Well, it fits in branding. Branding is the interface of business and design. Those two overlap in that area. So if I can show how uh, where design fits and help them uh, get their arms around it internally, then it'll be good for everybody. Designers will get more work, they'll get more respect, companies will get the work they want. People will learn from each other. We'll create a language that we can all use. You know, lots of things started to fall into place. And so I started a company called Neutron to be sort of the neutral third party between these two uh, factions and and help companies build a culture around um, more creativity. And and that was successful from day one. It was like, yes, where have you been all our lives? It just and that's what I hoped the magazine would do. See, so, yeah. so that's I, I did get it wrong, and and, and just there's just more but, more money in business. You know? But did you? I mean, maybe you had to go through that. Unfortunately, I think I think yeah. that's a good insight. I did have to go through it. Um, and what I learned from that is how to write. I mean, really, how to write fast and accurately and believably. All those kinds of things you have to do. And I think everything I write is designed. I think it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the, in the sense of, you know, the kind of design I like, which is taking away everything except what matters, getting it down to the essence, and then looking at it and saying, now, is it original? Is it fresh? Is it memorable? Is it powerful? If it's not, um, back up and do something else, but just get rid of everything. Get, you know, that's also a writing idea, too. I think Hemingway said, uh, when you get rid of everything that's superfluous, you, you can see if you're lying. Wow. You know, he was all about telling the truth and being really honest in his writing. And um, so I think it exists in both both fields. So you did the brand gap. And would it be fair to say that was successful? That, yeah. Um, even my publisher said so. I was, uh, you know, when I wrote it, I wrote it purposefully to be bold and break the mold. Because I thought, I'm desperate here. <laughs> I can't I can't hit a single I got to hit a home run or at least a triple and it's not going to happen if I just kind of do another book even right. no matter how polished it is it's not going to matter it has to be like whoa <laughs> you know, what is this about you know and so I said okay it's going to be a strikeout or a home run that's what I'm going for and um and even as I was finishing it up I was going god I don't even like this it's just like it's just doesn't seem very good. I was just having all kinds of doubts, but you know, it was done and the publisher liked it, so it went out. And um, it did pretty well right in the beginning. Yeah. It didn't look like a home run. It looked like maybe a double. I hit a double. Yeah. And that's pretty good. And um, and uh, it went out. The publisher said, no, it's, it's, it's successful. And then within about a month, uh, my publisher said, well, it's an evergreen. And I said, what's an evergreen? He said, no, that's a book that will never stop selling. I said, how do you know that? Oh, we know. We know. We can tell. Yeah. You know, it's a pattern. Yeah. And, um, they have that data figured yeah. out. Yeah. And, and uh, right before that, 
And the book was selling okay. You can, see, if you go to Amazon, here's a thing for readers. If you like doing this kind of stuff, you can see how a book is doing. If you look at the ranking, so if you look in all the detailed, you know, the the, the, the detailed information about the book, who published it, and so forth, there's Amazon ranking, and it can be, you know, it can be number ten thousand of all books, or it can be number, it can be a million or something. There's probably four million books out there, so yeah. being a million isn't the end of the world. You're right. selling, you're selling books. Um, and depending on the category, if it's a category that's very uh, small, narrow, you're not going to have a very high ranking because there's just right. not enough people. But branding is kind of a middling thing. I mean, it's a business thing. And um, and it was consistently, like in the first couple of weeks, it was under number 5,000, um, which is kicking yeah. for, for a business book. I didn't realize. Crushing it. Yeah. And then one day I got up and I went to work. I opened my computer. I looked and it was number 15 of all books. Number 18 was Bill Clinton's book, which had just come out at the same time. I was beating Bill Clinton with a brand book. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, so, and, you know, I just thought, well, you know, it's, it's what I do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was like, and then I later, you know, looking back, I said, no, that was unique. That was completely um, because it was the first of its genre and the timing it just hit it right. And maybe it was because of the stage that Amazon was at. Who knows? You know, it's a good like, book, man. That's why I was oh, doing Well, thank you. I mean, because uh, look at my book. I went to 3,999,999 yeah. 4 million. Yeah. So I felt good about that. Well, that's a, that's the plight of being an author. I mean, it's just like, it you can write book. a brilliant book and, and still have really bad numbers. I mean, it's just hard. There's just so much stuff out there, and everybody's publishing books, and anyone can do it. Yeah, so you went from Brand Gap to Zag. Like, what was... What Third was one was uh, a narrower audience. It was called the Designful Company. So this is my effort to teach business people where design fits and how they can be innovative. And my, the main thought there was, if you want to innovate, you got to design. Design is necessary to innovation. And, if, and you can't just treat it as, oh yeah, my people are designing. I'm sure they're designing. No, you have to really wrap your arms around it and make a place for that kind of thinking. Uh, so I'm still... Um, working on CEOs to understand yeah. that, but that was the third one, and then uh, then I took uh, a break from that series, and I wrote a much deeper book um, that I just had to get out of my system called Meta Skills: mm -hmm. uh, A Look at the Future of the Workplace in an Era of uh, Machine Learning and um, Robotics and Fewer Jobs and Fewer Opportunities. You know, all the stuff that's happening now. But yeah. this is ten years ago. Or oh, let's see, no, six years ago. Seven. Yeah, 2012, I think. Yeah, that's right, 12. Uh, probably a little soon for people to even care. They just read the robotics. What is that? You know. But I still think it's my best book. And there's so many ideas in there that I want to follow up on that yeah, have that salience. Is, that thing is packed full of good it's, stuff. It's a monster. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as, a, as a product, not that good. Didn't sell that well. Um, it, but it, it did get me some stature you know in my in my uh in my world uh so i did that and then i realized well people are getting like halfway through that and just going i i can't i this too much too much information you know and so i thought well okay i'll turn that into a kind of a whiteboard book and then i i shrunk it down to the very simple book called um the 46 rules of genius and uh and that did better it's still it's selling and actually is picking up steam over time slowly and slowly catching on people are passing it around and recommending it so so um, those two are kind the, of a set yeah what yeah. do you think the spirit of that book is like what do you, what is the meat of that one uh the meat of it is is uh everyone can be creative everyone can be a genius at something if you widen your view of what genius is and mm -hmm. then i have lots of examples of ways to do it but there but there are techniques and principles you have to use to create anything and uh, a lot of people who are creative do it intuitively but haven't really thought about like why they're being successful mm -hmm. and so even for them I'm, I'm hoping they'll see something in there and go oh yeah that's that's why that works and then double down on that but um i'm i'm, I'm trying to get i'm trying to socialize socialize the idea of innovation and creativity in business i mean that's my whole thing it's yeah. like how do i bring the amazing qualities of design to every the everyday world and business is where all that happens. I mean, if we could change business, we would change everything. Business yeah. is uh, a fulcrum for change. Well, so I think that's where Zag was the kingpin. 
right. So what what was the um, we skipped that one? What was the explosion there for for Zag? Like what? Zag is about differentiation. So you can't have a brand, you can't have a place in the world unless you exaggerate uh, your difference. Like find a difference and really dramatize it, and and dramatize it to the point where you feel uncomfortable about it. Mm. Right. So. Uh, uh, that was the point of that. And you can't be a leader by following a leader. It's not going to happen. You've got to make them follow you. And so it's dumb as that is, that's the truth that people, that's the big truth that yeah. the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, so that was that. And it also had a, a, a thing that turned out to be really important in my work, which is the onlyness statement. It's uh, what you're only at. So, you know, our brand is the only blank that blanks. And you have to have a very good answer for that, why you're the only. And that answer has to be compelling. It can't be just, well, we're different because ours is blue and theirs is red. It's got to be something um, compelling. And, and so that's probably the most useful of my books from, for a lot of strategists. And um, it, it has been for me, too, in doing workshops. That's the, I, that part. Just I never get tired of that. And it's always hard for companies to think, think that simply. The loneliness is a, it, that's a tough exercise. It's very tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's very tough. But that's because it. it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. To, but if you get that right, um, everything else is easy after that. Mm-hmm. Making money is easy. It's, it's, but if you lose it, it'll be hard again. So that's what happens. <laughs> you get something you're only at, and then you say, well, we got to grow, so we're going to add this and this and this, and then suddenly it just falls flat, you know, it just dissipates. And so you need to, like, always be pruning back, pruning, pruning, until you get that very crisp, uh, offer to people that that everyone can see, even if you don't tell them, yeah. right? They can just see, they just know. They know that flying Southwest is going to be cheaper. Yeah. They just know. That's all they have to know. You know, I'm just going to save some money. I'm taking Southwest. Yeah. So the brand gap uh, defined uh, a brand as a person's a customer's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. And that hasn't changed. So that's only gotten more true with social media. Now it's like it's in, on steroids because um, customers are totally in control now. They know so much about you and they tell each other and they don't care what you tell them. Advertising? Forget it. Mm. They hate advertising. But they like buying. So they just don't want to be sold. And so now they have control over what they think and they tell everyone else. Even if they get it wrong, it doesn't matter. It's going to spread and that's your brand. So how do you deal with that? Uh, reality and so the brand flip is about like everything you knew about business is upside down now and if you understand that you have a huge advantage against the competition so you got to flip it whatever it is you got to flip it so the big flip is customers run your company if you can get your head around that then you can work with them to have them help you (laughs) right make a great company but you have to learn all about customers and what they want done in their lives. And you have to be thinking about what do you want them to become? You have to care about that. Um, and, and everything else is secondary. So, so uh, it's a, it, you know, if you were going to just read two books, I would say those are the ones. You read Brand Gap and you read Brand Flip and everything is in those two. Mm. If you want to drill down into uh, strategy, Zag would be the one. If you care about company culture, designful company, you care about the future of the workplace and what skills are going to look like it'll say you're like a policymaker or a, a, an educator you probably want to read meta skills this is a book that's direct towards people who lead they they lead a company they lead a team lead, maybe they lead themselves but they're they're about thinking about how they're going to accomplish something and with the subject which is agile strategy something that's new um, it's complicated because you have to involve a lot of people, right? So whenever you've got people involved, it's complicated. And uh, people don't always like to be led the way you want to lead them. Uh, They do things that you don't expect. And so if you read a book about how to do strategy, it'll be all kind of like, this company did this and they had a big success on these guys, this is how they did it. Oh, these people here, they failed because they did it wrong. And here's the 10 things you have to remember. And you know, it all seems like, you, you know, you read the book, you go, okay, I'm ready to go. And then you try to apply it in your company, and it doesn't. You know everything goes wrong. People right. don't behave like you thought they would. Um, you're not getting the results that the book says you're supposed to get. Um, there's so many unanswered questions in the book, and you just give up. And I think that's because there's just a gap between uh, reading a textbook kind of business book and applying it in real life. Real life, 
real life fights back. So I, I just thought, well, a better way to get this stuff across is um, tell it as a story. It's fiction, right? And then you get a chance to put in anything you want. All those kind of problems that are likely to come up, all those personality clashes, all the things that can go wrong, the failures, all that can be described in a fictional story better than you can in a textbook. So um, that was my idea there. And um, I'm getting good feedback on it. People are saying, yeah, this is, now I get it. Now, now I see how hard it is, but also I see a way that I can use this stuff. And I, I'm now prepared for what could go wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. I, when I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is totally different than your other books. And I was reading it, and then I started getting engrossed in the story. And what I really appreciated was that you really pulled back to the curtain to show how things can and will go wrong. Maybe not to some of the extremes that you had in your in your book. Um, yeah, they're all in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the then, worst case scenario. Yeah, but yeah. then, you know, you kind of go back to the, the tactics yeah. and the methodology there at the end, which I think is really great. Yeah, so and, and it's actually pretty short. It's maybe yeah. thirty pages or something, yeah. uh, and that that could have been a book right there. You wouldn't need to put a bunch of case studies in it because yeah. all the stuff's in there. But I, I just don't think you would be prepared for um, what you're getting into, and so that that you know, I mean, it started when I, I gave a talk to CEOs about uh, the Designful Company, and they're all nodding the whole time. And I get this question at the end. Um, I'll, I totally get this. It's really exciting. I want to try some of these things. But I'm really have, I'm struggling to see how this actually would play out in my, my particular business. And everybody's nodding along with him. And I realized um, he's not going to do anything. He's going to not try to do this at all. He's, he can't see a way to make it happen. He's mm. too nervous about the gap between what he knows and what could be. Right. So um, I'm trying to bridge that gap with this. And, and uh, I wrote the book in concert with CEOs, you know, just sending them chapters as I went. Oh, get, really? Yeah. Because I also felt sprinkled throughout, which you would assume, a lot of your other books, some of the other concepts. Yeah. So it's the best, greatest hits of the yeah. other concepts, but put into a real life situation <laughs> that's fiction, yeah. but it, no, but really more real life than, yeah. than, a, than a textbook. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, that's good. Yeah. And, and the... The concepts are pretty simple, but when you use them, they create all kinds of uh, combinations. Uh, so these simple ideas can just be used in a million ways. And I just try to show, like, this is probably what's going to happen when you do this. You're going to have somebody who doesn't get it and doesn't want to get it, and but isn't telling you that, is telling you, yes, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, we're going to do that. And then it's totally... Um, you know, sabotaging you at every yeah. step, yeah. or looking out for themselves, or you know, there's a lot of things that I you love have that to twist, consider. By the way, in there, that was a great twist. Uh, don't it. don't I'm give not, it away I'm now. Gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, there's it's oh well, you know, it's a thriller. What's next? Um, oh, I've got some really interesting things planned this year. I'm gonna let the book simmer, and um, I'm creating the my first brand course, uh, similar to the what we did with the brand gap. Mm -hmm. But at the end, you'll get a certificate, so you'll, get, you'll be certified as a brand specialist, and that's that's tier one, and it's a five-tier program. Mm -hmm. So every course is two days, a packed two days. At the end, if you learn the material, you get a badge that you can use on LinkedIn or on your business card or whatever, and um, uh, you can rise up. It gets more difficult as you go, like sure. black belt kind of mm -hmm. journey. But um, the first one is. You know, it it's, could be a watershed event for a lot of people, and um, so I'm building that now. The first the rollout is in London, in March 14th and 15th. If anybody wants to have a great trip uh, to London and combine that with <laughs> with learning and getting a certificate, so that'll be it. And I think uh, planning another one in France uh, in the summer, uh, where probably there'll be an opportunity to take one and two, the two tiers in a row, if you've got the energy to do too yeah. and you want to keep going um and that's the way it'll be presented so every time there's a, another uh tier gets another tier gets added to the program you have an opportunity to take them all in a row mm. and go through a you could you know presumably in uh, five weeks or something you could take all five but the fifth the fifth tier is really for a very special kind of people who have amazing talent and experiences already before they even take this and mm -hmm. that is for people that want to become what I call in, in uh, the brand gap a CBO, Chief Brand Officer. So in other words, you're running brand from the very top of the company, right side by side with the, with the CEO and the other C-level people. 
Um, and that's something that hasn't happened yet, but it's starting to happen in different ways. Like you see CDOs, chief design officers, mm -hmm. chief creative officers. I think there are some chief brand officers. Uh, uh, so they're happening in the wild. Um, and I just want to make that a recognized thing where I've got, I've got the certificate for that. That's what I do. You know, I'm a brand master, so I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be a CBO. And at that level, we'll probably have only a few people a year doing that, sure. and we'll probably be helping them get fine positions and things. So that, but I'm that's a few years from now. So right now, I want to get as many people as possible clued into branding so that they can uh, collaborate successfully on a brand team, um, get more respect for what they do, um, be certified. So be, you know, no, I actually was trained to do this, yeah. and that guy over there, he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I think it'll help people get jobs, get promotions, um, just be better on their yeah. teams, have some real structure in what they're doing, and be able to say, no, 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 that's not what a brand is. You got that wrong. Uh, with authority, with you know, and actually know what they're talking about. Yeah. So, so that uh, I'm going to be doing that, and um, that will lead to other things uh, in an educational way. And then we'll see about books and um, videos and other stuff later. That sounds we'll amazing. Just, we'll just see, you know. So you're doing it. I'm doing it. So that was part of that's part of your goal, right? Yeah. To bring this to have a bigger voice, a bigger footprint in this world. I want business to be clued into design. I want design and business to to mingle, right? And and not be on two sides of the dance floor, mm -hmm. which is where they were when I was younger. Um, it's an important job, but you have to apply it to important uh, activities, right? Like you know the profitability and sustainability of, of, of a business and not just and you have to be able to use that language and if you do the beauty of this is you will get carte blanche to do design the way you want to do it mm -hmm. um, that's what I found so instead of being told what to do uh, you're being asked what you want to do mm -hmm. it's huge it's a huge difference and um, um, but first you have to understand the point of view of a leader of a company you have to understand that um, and, and speak that language. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Lovely conversation. Thanks for listening to me babble on. <laughs> All right, man. Which I don't have any trouble with, as you can tell. <laughs> Thank you to my brilliant friend, Marty Newmeyer. Your mission to help business understand brand has literally changed my career and continuing to change many other careers and the industry for the better. Thank you, Marty. To read any of Marty's incredible books, see his speaking events, or sign up for his brand class, go to his site, martynewmeyer.com, M-A-R-T-Y-N-E-U-M-E-I-E-R. -E -E I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for being the soundtrack to our show. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. To Design of Audio Engineer Steve Wick, who loved this episode just so he could do his favorite Davy Jones impersonation. What number is this, Chip? 7A. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Tell us about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.